You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 149 of a Life in Ruins podcast. We investigate the careers, careers and and lives and research. The careers and research of those living a life in ruins. I am your host Carl Tegover, and I am joined by my co-host David Howe. Connor is Hi. not here. He, <laughs> David, Connor's not here tonight. He is currently cosplaying as the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Oh my God! <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the he dude may slipped may- a disc. <laughs> <laughs> I think oh. I think the Hunchback slipped a couple discs, so it doesn't happen. I ordered one of those, by the way. Finally, a Hunchback? No, not the Hunchback. Yeah, the either. the the thing in your hand. What is it called? Oh, a fume. Yeah, I ordered one. I just have an oral fixation of putting a lot of things in my mouth, so this is what I like to use it for. Same girl. Uh, you can guys you should go to www.fume.com slash ruins and get yourself 20% off of this fume <laughs> stick thing. Where do you re-up pods for those things or the filters? www.fume.com slash ruins. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, it literally is just flavored air is all this thing is. I've never like jeweled or nicotine what you vaped in my life, but I just right. I like breathing in cranberry flavored air, I guess. Is there any vapor that comes out? No, it's straight up. Like you're just inhaling a mint through an $80 tube. Yeah. That's $60 tube. If you go to life fucking. <laughs> <laughs> I did use that promo and I did order the journey pack, which came with one of the, what the one device and a month's worth of flavored air cartridges. This sounds about right. So looking forward to it. But uh, today uh, we're not. Th- we've gotten distracted. We've gotten way off off topic per usual. But today on this episode of 149, episode 149 of Life and Rich Podcast, apologies. Me and David wanted to dive into the very riveting, exciting, and cutting edge topic of style versus function. Yes, we do. Why is this concept, this classification of, of, is it even considered a classification? It's basically just about the form of objects and then. Style versus function is like the idea that if you dig up an artifact, you can look at it. And if it's say a biface or a projectile point or a knife, you know, okay, this is a cutting implement. That's its function. But like the style is a Clovis point versus an archaic trinotch point. Is there a different function between those two things or is it just style? Uh, And you can look at that through today. And it's like, is an iPhone, the function is to call and use the web. And, you know, it's a million different things. But a thousand years from now, when someone digs it up, they're going to be like, I think these smaller ones were probably more efficient for carrying than the bigger ones or something. Like, it's just like, how do we look at this archaeologically? And you can apply it to like any modern tool that you could dig up. Absolutely. The dichotomy between style and function was first formulated in the late 1970s by Robert Dunnell and remains an axiomatic within the theoretical perspective of evolutionary archaeology. The original definitions of style and function were grounded in biological evolutionary concepts regarding neutral variation versus variation that is subject to natural selection. Basically, what the, what the deal is here is when we're looking at the archaeological record, especially when it comes to a material culture that is in deep time and trying to categorize, identify the use of objects, it gets a little wonky because, of course, the people from that time can't speak for themselves. And generally, depending on how far back in time you're going, how useful the ethnographic record can be in interpreting these objects it's really difficult so especially when it comes to i think to me when i think of style versus function david like flutes on a paleo indian point yes come to mind because they after what is it like fulsome points projectile points aren't fluted anymore and just kind of goes away fulsome is like one of the later ones yeah there might be one or two others but fulsome would be the bigger one clovis fulsome cumberland and, and for those that are listening who have no idea what a flute is, a flute, like if you imagine a projectile point or an arrowhead, spear point, whatever. Imagine a racing stripe up the middle. That's an excellent description. 
I was really struggling. Yeah, like a little notch of a sometimes like a, sleep, out a little sometimes a nap, flint nap. Yep, I know. Your face is okay. All right, <laughs> <on>. <laughs> uh, up the center, and it just largely disappears. Now I have heard. And I can't tell who I heard this by that like the process of fluting a point, which happens at the end of production of a projectile point, if done incorrectly, will snap a point and all the time you just put into creating that point is now wasted except for practice. 40% fail rate, I believe. Really? That's pretty high. I think it might be lower. That might be among modern nappers. I don't know what it is in the past. Gotcha. Yeah. It's either 40 or 30%. It's pretty high. Have you ever flew to a point before? Yes. Only one successfully. The other six have broken in half. So you have like a a 15% success rate. Yes, it's a pretty low success rate. I've never got to the point in a projectile production to even be close to somewhere where I can flute. Something good for you, dude. It's taken Were they like years. Clovis points or Folsom's? Well, I attempted to make a Clovis point. It might look like a Colby, and I just tried to float it, flute it. Is it um, just a Colby point of Clovis point that's got undergone the frizzen effect? I just they're just bigger Clovis points to me. But yes, I thought they were smaller. The frizzen effect. The one I made was bigger. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> to my to my understanding. Anyway, we're, yeah, we're losing track here. Yes. So the the point of the fluting would be like some people think it it so you can haft it better. I think that's the major idea. I would subscribe to that. It's it's like thinner to put on the shaft. But other people think it might be like a rite of passage, like, oh, can you flitten up this? Cool, you can you can join our club. Uh, other people think it might do with bloodletting, like a bloodletting, like a katana. Yeah, like a katanas have blood grooves down the side of them, so that when you stab them into somebody, the suction doesn't go all around it. Like the blood automatically comes out, so it like stops the wound from sealing. So I thought flutes were doing that, but that part of the point is usually hafted and tied so it just makes no sense i have seen i think it was donnie and devin talk about putting grooves into adaladal i forgot he listens he's currently screaming at me because i i Darts. incorrectly sized a uh, colby point gotta love donnie dust love the man. but it was either devin or donnie or both of them were talking about putting grooves into the side of adaladal darts mm-hmm. i forget what the purpose of those were but it don't want to talk out of out of hand, but Groove I, I believe down the side. Yeah, on both sides for that purpose. Then, yeah, but they didn't say bloodletting. I think it was to make it like more flexible. Wiggly I don't know. Yeah, I don't yeah. see style or function. Text him. Ask him. <laughs> I'm afraid to text <laughs> to text either at this point. <laughs> Let's just call him and put him on air and ask him. No, I'm not going to bother that. All right, he's probably busy filming something. Yeah, busy, uh, busy man. But like when it comes to style and function, especially when you look at ceramics in particular, like ceramic designs, those are like pretty much over 90% of the time going to be all about style. Yeah. And and like we could also get into the, the idea too that like different cord stamped versus like paddle stamped versus like circular designs on it can get into like a spiritual or a, like a religious different, a different function in that regard. But that's yeah. other stuff that doesn't fossilize that we can tell either. <laughs> yeah. There's a really good argument that Ramsey and size pottery, which is a particular sort of Oneota pottery production on the shoulders of pots is representative indicative of Raptor wings. It's a thing. Um, Hashtag Adam just, driver. Yes. Do the Raptors have wings in 10 million? What is the movie called? No, 65 was the name of the movie. And and no, there, among the many issues of the movie, none of them that I have to pick currently were about the dinosaurs. It was just the plot and the writing. The, the weirdest part of the movie was after years, like almost two decades of Jurassic Park, three decades of Jurassic Park being out, when everyone's like, Lake Cretaceous era dinosaurs had feathers. There wasn't one feather to be seen in this late Cretaceous movie. <laughs> and they had 30 years to figure that out. But no, they were like very just like chicken skin looking lizards. Okay. Was it better than the last Jurassic Park? Jurassic World Functionally, Evolution? no. Stylistically, <laughs> no. Really? I actually haven't seen the newest Jurassic Parks because they looked like ass. <laughs> it was it was bad. It wasn't good. Zero out of 10 would not recommend. You're going to do my man BD Wong as a bad guy? Get out of here. 
And so why does this matter in the archaeological record? It mostly boils down to trying to understand human behavior and also like classification of like, well, what's the purpose of this human decision and the production of a material culture? And then archaeologists will argue about it for a decade, sometimes vehemently. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I remember Dunnel Vision being brought up in in class. Dunnel Vision. Um, I like that. Dunnel Vision. It's like if you're if you're too bogged down in this, I think it's Dunnel Vision. That might not be a, a kind thing to say to somebody that they have Dunnel Vision. And I'm saying this out loud, but uh, I'd, I'd like you to elaborate, you know, who knows, elaborate on the the idea of the, the evolutionary archaeology of this. Like, is that the style evolves? Is that what it's trying to get at? This I believe almost I eight believe years ago for me now. Yeah, I believe so. It's been a while. I haven't got into style versus function a hot minute just because like most of my research has been so based on radiocarbon and then also like settlement patterns. But actually, that's a pretty good, pretty good segue in terms of like with my work, how, how I see style versus function comes in house forms and settlement patterns, like the style of house particularly on the Great Plains, like an Earth Lodge, which is a basically a man-made hobbit hole, I think is the best way I can describe it. Like you got a spherical mound of dirt. Inside is massive log beams, and there is a elongated entryway. And you find these in the in the Great Plains, particularly Nebraska, Kansas, South Dakota, northern Oklahoma. And it's like the indicative Pawnee, Arikara, Wichita, Ponca, Omaha, Mandan, Hidatsa, form of house and that people that come later like the Poncas, Otos and Omahas adopt earth lodges as they move into the plains from like the Pawnee and Rikra teach them. Turns out they're like tornado proof, which is a really? pretty good form of house to have in tornado alley. Yeah. Like the spherical shapes of the houses, like mm-hmm. nothing's getting in there. I also always wondered like why, like teepees and things like that out in the plains are like the shape they are. And I imagine it has to do with the wind. Like once yeah. they moved out there. So um, like people think teepees are perfectly conical. They're not actually like, and same thing with earth lodges, the entrance ways to a lot of these houses, there's a, there is a religious component to it. Why they point the certain way they do. However, generally they're looking to the South, the entrance ways to the Southeast or to the East in general. The reason being is like, where does the cold wind come in from generally? The Northwest. So Canada. Yeah. So you don't want your house to open up into the the frigid Arctic air. And teepees actually lean towards the Northwest generally. Like teepees have a slight bend in them. So the front poles actually are, are putting pressure onto the back poles. So as the wind's coming down, it's actually pushing into those those poles that are at much more of a acute angle as opposed to the obtuse angles of the back poles. Okay. Yeah. Didn't know that. But the little, I think it's a reservoir that's in Centennial, Wyoming, a little town outside Laramie. Like there's a weird like conical shaped structure. It looked like a, just a man-made, te- like a, a cement-made teepee. Mm-hmm. But when I first saw that, I was like, why is it shaped like that? Oh, the wind. And like it hit like... Because I thought it was just easy to move poles and skins like as a house somewhere. But yeah, it's got to be the wind. Otherwise, they would make way different houses, I would think. Yeah. And traditionally, like Pawnees and Rick Rose, like all the tribes that did the biannual bison hunting, you'd have the one in the winter, you'd bring your teepees out. But one in the summer, Pawnees and Rick Rose had, had a summer house. So we wouldn't bring the teepees out. It was um, There's really cool photos of it, but it's like more of a, it's, it's not even fully enclosed. It basically kind of looks like a, an ovular lean-to because you don't need to worry about the wind really in the summertime. You just need to worry about the rain. So mm-hmm. it's it's not even fully enclosed, but it looks like like when when baby Yoda Grogu's little fucking pods open, that's what they kind of look like. Oh, cool, cool. If that makes any sense. And I don't even know yeah, if, like a case know, kind of Yeah, basically. Yeah. And there's just but and like you don't need as in terms of like function, you know, a teepee is a shitload of bison hides as compared to as those summer yeah. tents, much less, right? So it was really only the horse nomads that show up in the eighteenth century along the western plains. They are the full time teepee people, right? Because they just need mm. the one all year round. 
you can open that up and let it be breezy and stuff too. Right. Whereas like for the farmers on the Missouri river, the summer bison hunt, that's where you're really getting the most meat. So you can reduce your carrying capacity, like the initial carrying capacity of, of the teepees with just these like summer lodges, which are an eighth of the size and weight of a teepee. And you can go out, get more meat and bring it back to the, to the town. Hmm. Okay. Well, that was an excellent example of style versus function. In the next segment, I'd like to get into some more. And I, I promise you guys, this will be this will be some fun stuff to think about. And welcome back to episode 149 of the Life Runs Podcast. I am here with David, and we are talking about style versus function archaeology. So we're going to do a lightning round of sorts. I'm going to name David an object that can be in the archaeological record or in contemporary society. And he's going to elaborate whether it's style versus function. Go to perchance.org and you can type in a randomizer for a, a random object. We can do this. Perchance.org. Okay. Okay. I like I that. I just found it. It might be a you know white supremacy website, but not yet. Xbox 360 controller. Okay. The, see, video game controllers are a perfect, perfect example of this because I loved the GameCube controller. It was ergonomic. It was perfectly made for playing Super Smash Brothers, for playing any kind of Zelda game, because you could map the buttons to do what you wanted to do. However, people complained that it hurt your hands after a while, but also it only had one analog stick. It didn't have two. You had the camera stick on the right. So Xbox and PlayStation were like, hold on, move over. Let's make two analog sticks. And like people moved on to that because you had a lot more first-person shooter games that have people needing their left thumb and their right thumb to be doing the steering and the walking and things. Nintendo games didn't do that at the time, so that was the perfect game for their controller for that. But all that being said, even with a modern Xbox 360 controller or a PlayStation, what are they on? PlayStation 5 now? 6? Yeah, 5. I don't play those. Like, you have controllers that look different. Like, you could look at an Xbox controller and a PlayStation controller and be like, okay, these have a, a video game function. Like, I know what these are. But, like, 4,000 years from now and someone digs that up, what are they going to think the differences were between a PlayStation and an Xbox controller? Like they're not going to understand that there were different corporations that made them. They might think of different factions of people. And again, I'm talking about this in the sense of like looking at it archeologically. Cause we, for the same reason I could pick up a Clovis point made in Tennessee. That's a little bit smaller and a Clovis point that's made in Wyoming and say, these are two different people that made these, but really it could be the same person or same group of people. Just somebody made one that was smaller. And like they had less rock to work with. So it's like, how do we, how do we look at this? And like, would a PlayStation controller have more worth? Would it be worth, or is it cost more money than an Xbox controller? I don't know. This is the style versus function. That's pretty cool. And I think looking at the history of console controllers, I think we have hit like nailed down the function. Cause we, we've gone through like so many different iterations. Like you look at Nintendo 64, versus a GameCube. Like that was mm-hmm. a radical change to make it easier to play a game. And then the next step, and they basically just like kind of copied what the other two game systems were doing. Although like, are you, I'm more fond of the Xbox controller than the PlayStation. Like I like having my movement stick top left rather than bottom left. I think I, for me, I think it's easier to hit that D pad. I haven't had a PlayStation since high school. So yeah, I, I, I prefer Xbox controllers and they work better with PC games too. Yeah. And the, the Nintendo switch is two analog sticks, but their pro controller is very similar to an Xbox controller. I'd yeah. say more so than a PlayStation. So I think um, at this point we're just at style. Like the function has been nailed down. You only have so many fingers for a normal, only so game. many fingers. Like we, we've hit the that pinnacle thing. of, of design. Although like, I do have like a pro controller for Xbox where it has buttons and toggles at the bottom. So My I can, friend that. Um, yeah, I love that, but I only get, get super serious. Things. Yeah. Yeah. And then that way I don't have to move my right thumb on my view stick. Mm-hmm. I can just use the fingers down below my middle and ring finger down below. Yep. And that's style versus function. Cause I mean, it is function in a way. But yeah, I, fuck, I could go on a whole thing about video game consoles too, how they look and things like that. You could also use video game consoles as a marker for stratigraphy because they look oh, so absolutely. different. Same with um, phones. Like it, like those are the always really like good. my favorite, like trying to explain an archaeological concept to students. It's like you all know the differences in fucking phone technology at this point. Right. And I, I, I think I'm going to use game controllers next time. But I think phones are more encompassing to a broader audience. 
phone. Yeah, for sure. Because not everyone played a Wii or a Nintendo. But we're at the point um, now with iPhones. Like, there's such fucking difference. There's little difference. Firmware uh, wise. Object. Firmware? Yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry. I was going to say CD. What can you tell me about Ooh. CDs? Yeah. Definitely, I think, function at that point. Yeah. Going because what there was like laser discs that were like massive. Yeah, those are huge. And I and at that point, I think they were able to put more data onto a smaller disc that was more convenient mm-hmm. to lug around than having, you know, basically the equivalent of a record. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then you could yeah, put but on, like the different the labels on them are vastly different. Do those have a function? How would we oh, look absolutely at that? style. Yeah, definitely yeah. style. 100%. I miss the days of like being on the bus and everyone had those like packages of CD Big cases. Leather CD then, cases. Yeah. And then everybody was just like on the bus, like trading CDs to listen to. And everyone like scrambling when you got to school. Now that's got what home, I call like, music six. And you're like, oh, <laughs> hell yeah. Kids bought five. You know, like the OG. <laughs> They're like kids bought 50 something now. And it was just like, I remember when kids bought was radical. Like, do you want to listen to hot songs that don't have cuss words? Here's kids. Was pop. it just kids singing it? I never had one. Yeah, I mm. never bought one either. But I fondly remember the commercials on Cartoon Network and Nickelodeon. So, how would someone look at the different, say, an InSync CD versus a Backstreet Boys CD? Oh, that's excellent. I still have CDs from that time, and I used to absolutely love InSync back in the day. <laughs> Loved it. I still have my, um, is it No Strings Attached CD? I believe that's what it was called. It had Bye 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 on it. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of want to listen to that now. Fuck, I want to get that on Spotify. Do they have NSYNC? And then, of course, Justin Timberlake went on and was crushing it. But I don't know. I mean, it was kind of the boy band, like, copy and paste idea, right, during that time. Like everyone was doing it. Like everyone, like there was that, there's that structure. And I think fifth harmony, which broke up a couple oh. of years ago, that same deal is like, you get a group of people together that all contribute. Like K-pop is very big in this. Like there's always the bad boy, the nerd, like they hmm. carbon copies. I, I don't know if like an archeologist was to see an album cover. It's just style. There's no function. Yeah. Just how, how would we determine? I guess after, the CDs being the exact same size and shape. And then there's, it'd be like pottery stamps, you know, like there's different yeah. stampings on them. That would be, that would make the most sense. Mm-hmm. I don't know what a bagel bracelet is. Uh, oh, bangle bracelet, coffee mug, uh, a ceramic. Yeah. And there'd be, oh, there's so much style to that too. Just like a pottery. Okay. That's literally a ceramic. I'll move to the next thing. But yeah, but, but what makes a coffee mug different than other mugs is that it's meant to not burn your hands when you hold it mm. and is specifically produced for containing very hot objects. So I would say function supersedes style on that. I mean, now we updates, they all have fun shit on them and logos, but yeah, I love Mondays. I hate Mondays, whatever the classic mug says. Sir, this is a Wendy's. <laughs> Sir, this is a Wendy's. <laughs> Well, well, one. Have you seen that Demi Lovato interview where they ask her what her favorite dish is? What does she say? It's like a cla- it's like a viral vine, I think. Which she, they're like, "What's your favorite dish?" She's like, "Um, I would say mugs." <laughs> She's like, "Because you can put, you can hold hot beverage." They were asking like, "Oh, <laughs> versus like, you know, oh, what's oh, I, that's funny." Describe yeah, your like, favorite mugs. date, like May May twenty eighth or whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's funny as shit. Good for her. But I bring that up because she mentions like, you know, it's you, you could, they don't burn your hand on them. There's a little handle. Sometimes the handles are more ergonomic than others. But again, all humans have the same five fingers. So like, I mean, no, I shouldn't say that. Not all humans do. That's, that's the base template is five fingers. That's the there vanilla model. Yeah. yeah. It's the the version 1.0. Like there's only so many ways you can hold a mug and it has to shield your hands from being burned by the, the cut, you know, so it's a different Mm-hmm. A puddle? That's not an object. Cookie jar. These are all Masonic. Or, I got one. Uh, I got one. I got one. Ceramic. Flashlight. Flashlight? Flashlight. Yeah, that's another one too. They're very, they all have at the end of it, the eye where the light comes out of, for yep. sure. But there's many ways to get there. Some of them are like S-shaped. Some of them are L-shaped. Some, <laughs> don't laugh. <laughs> some of them are like, you got the police ones that like you can, you know. Also bashing someone's head with hit it. Hit people with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> And then, but there's also tiny little ones like that you get at the supermarket, the energizer ones that are in your hand. 
is there any part of the world with less light than others? Yes, Alaska. But like at the end of the day, like it's you're all seeing the same like what five feet in front of you with a flashlight. Also, style versus function. I think function. I think function is probably with with flashlight probably the most critical because like even the the descriptions of flashlights that you were just telling us about. Like they all serve a different purpose. It's not necessarily for style. Like the small ones that you buy at the store, it's like something for your car okay. versus the police one, which those are like heavy duty mm-hmm. searchlights. Like I think how they're built is indicative of their purpose. That's now true. there's like the children's one that have like Scooby-Doo and shit on the side of them. That's probably more style. Yeah. I remember having like one of the kids ones that you could rotate the lens or something. That's like, you know so what I'm talking about? That up. I think it was yellow. Like it was a yellow flashlight. It was this fucking look like a uh, boom box. And then it had like a red filter and then a blue filter. Like it was just this film. Do you know what I'm talking that. about? Yes, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. It was like a toy. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe I can't. Yeah. I don't know. Fucking poor memory unlocked. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned Scooby-Doo though. Cause in the class where we talked about this, it was band-aids and like do Flintstones or Rugrats or Scooby-Doo Band-Aid brand bandages have more healing power function versus others. And like, obviously medically no, but if a child would be more likely to keep the Scooby-Doo one on because it doesn't, you know, it's cool looking, it's going to heal better. So like it's other things like this, we got to think about too with ceramics and projectile points. Like, yeah, that one's dinky and shitty, but like maybe a person thought it had good karma on it for like hunting or something, you know, it's like, and it's like all a dean point. Gotta, a dean point, yeah. You gotta <laughs> That's a callback that like two years ago. <laughs> was it two years ago? We talked about that recently. It was two years no, ago. Yeah, dean. we Dean first came out a long time ago. I need to make an AI generated Ralph Wiggum as a caveman. Dean. <laughs> um that's our new logo. Um <laughs> those berries taste like burning. <laughs> Grandma tells me to burn things. Uh, it was a leprechaun tells me to burn things. I hang out with grandma. That was the thing. But yes, so you got to think about that stuff when you're categorizing artifacts because like it's all the, it's stuff we're never going to know. Mm-hmm. Like how, what the function is or like why the Scooby-Doo Band-Aid would be more prized to children than the other ones. Obviously it has a, a cute character on the front of it, but it's stuff like that we, we can't figure out. But at the same time, Processual archaeology is just like, okay, these ones are decorated, these ones aren't. We'll deal with that later. Separate them to decorated versus undecorated, which is what I did at Curation for four years. And like, you can figure out the stuff later. I don't know. It's endless stuff you can think about with this topic. Yeah. I think when I think of like band aids, different types, what easily comes to mind part of this debate are like Valentine's Day cards. Did you used to do those in elementary school? Like Valentine's Day, everyone would give you like run around the classroom and put Valentine's in each other's bags. Girls didn't like me, dude. I wasn't that kind of kid. <laughs> but did that experience occur? <laughs> like was that activity allowed regardless if you received Valentine's or not? I don't think I ever received a a Valentine from like a, a real one, but we did like the class, like fill out yeah. heart cards and cut them out. Yeah. But what, like did we give to people? Yeah. Because I think I remember like trying to get like the coolest Valentine's. Like it was always like kind of like who had the best Valentine's. And if you had one that if you and someone else had the same Valentine's, that was kind of lame. The same Valentine's. Like the same type. Like if I got Batman Valentine's and you got the oh, same brand. Like the stationary. The stationary. Yeah, the stationary of the Valentine's. Gotcha. I thought you had just like a Valentine's present. No, no, no. I mean like purely yeah. purely style. Very little function other than capitalism. <laughs> yeah, that's true. How about a ring, like jewelry, well, style or function? How many rings? Three rings, seven rings. Says one ring. Nine rings. A you ring. One ring. One a ring. ring. Okay. To rule them all. I mean, if it's Middle Earth, they definitely have functions. <laughs> if it's well, careful now, we don't want to upset Archeo Duna Day, and we don't want to overstep boundaries. He's the man, dude. He's a good kid. He's probably Never at my felt age. So insulted on Discord before. <laughs> it's okay, Doc. Rings. Yeah. So I I still struggle finding which hand, and this is what you guys, anyone listening who's younger than 18, once you get to 22, when everyone starts getting married around you, you really have to learn like, okay, who has a ring on their finger and who doesn't? It's something you start looking at. And maybe that was just me, but I also still to this day can never remember what hand it is. And then I'm dyslexic. So when I look at somebody, I'm like, that's definitely their left hand. But then I like have to raise my left hand to be like, well, that's my left. So that's their right. And then they've, I've, the conversation has left at this point. Point being rings signify 
that you're married or engaged or not, but you change yeah. the engagement yeah. thinker and like, it's all the culture with that. And I'm like, is, are they married or not? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I think there's a, a lot. I think like, yes, wedding rings are function. Other rings, like the one that I have on my hand, I think that's, it's a little bit of style, but also like there's a very, like I wear turquoise and I think there's a function to that. Well, it's a very like Southwest oriented style of jewelry that's mm-hmm. often associated with indigenous folks or like Maya's pretend cowboys. Huh. It's a style. Yeah. Mm. I see it also as like a function of identity display, I guess. And your identity as a single person versus a married person. No, for like, well, the turquoise um, Southwestern well, yeah, ring is like another as, in, as indigenous. And then I wear a lot of turquoise generally. But yeah, with the wedding ring, that's like a function of I'm rings. taking. Yeah. You had a you had a frat ring one time too, didn't you? No. No. I've Your always frat had turquoise. Sweatshirt. That was it. That's right. Yeah, my frat sweatshirt. Somebody I know wears a ring, class ring or something. I never got a class ring in high school, but No. I don't I like I my fraternity, but not like that much. Fair enough. Like that's that's like if I want to rep letters, I'll rep letters or like I like most of my frat t shirts now are just sleepwear. That's their function. They used to be identity display back on campus. Now they're just purely for this is an extra t shirt. Yeah. Well gotcha. Well, I guess with ring and then especially turquoise too, like we would see, yeah, turquoise jewelry very much concentrates to the southwest. Is there turquoise mines there to make those gems? I, I'm actually not sure entirely, but yeah. there's a culture there that obviously in that area use them, just like Cumberland points were here in Tennessee. But rings too, like if you dig up an old ring from, let's say a piece of shell that was tied to a, an organic ring somebody made in Pleistocene Europe, mm-hmm. like you're going to pull that up. You have no idea what the marriage ceremonies were, whether that meant like married or single or that meant like, war captive you don't know like what that that ring meant right so it's like you gotta ask yourself all these things but like it's just funny to me as modern archaeologists will put it away as ring and like people might think that's super reductionist but it has to be because how else are you gonna classify it i can't say if this is a marriage ring versus a a navajo shaman's ring when did um wedding rings become a thing um i'm gonna look it up now that's one of those things that i feel like when you look it up you're gonna be bummed like most things about marriage or women in the past in general. Uh, Your eyes are lighting up. I'm scared. The date back as far as the Roman era, but did not come into common use until the 1700s and then only among the upper class. Well, that makes sense. Diamond engagement rings first spiked in popularity during the mid 18th century after Brazil emerged as a major diamond source, making them more readily available. Hmm. Yeah. But World War II is a big turning point for engagement rings, but also wedding bands. Because all the yeah, soldiers so stole them friend, from Europe uh, and castles. World War II was also responsible for establishing the tradition of men's wedding bands. Hmm. So basically it's as a reminder of their wives back home. Ah, uh, gotcha. I don't know. Wedding rings stress me the fuck out. They do. Next segment. They're, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we're back to episode 149 of Life Women's Podcast. We're still talking about style versus function. I really have this song stuck in my head and I need to play it for you all because like a student shared this song with me and it is forever scarring my brain. David, let me know if you've if you've heard this before. Human beings fascinate me, being just the way they are. Tell me, little it's pony, so can you push a cart or drive a car? Liar is my instrument, but humans strum their sweet guitar. It's a mystery. Anthropology, fingers, toes, and tiny noses, brownish hair, and tannish skin. It's, uh, Would it be too much to ask it's a to see the world they're living kid? in? Every pony I don't know how this that is old and fake mythology. It's a mystery. Anthropology. I hate it. Anyways, I just stuck in my head. Please, please turn it off. It's it just, it just, it, and that's not even the pinnacle. It just keeps going. It just keeps going up. Oh, wow. Uh, I had a good one, good object here on the randomizer, but I forgot what it was. Wrench came to mind, but uh, we already know what wrench is. Function. House, rope, ice pick, pair of water goggles, dolphin, not, a, not an object, acorn, tree, bottle, rabbit, child, 
handheld game system, fishing child is not an object. The things um, I got dolphin umbrella, umbrellas function. I mean, th- that's the hard part. Like a lot of these tools in general, they have a function. Well, that's the thing. So do bifaces, but what's the function? Like, was it going to be a point? Was it going to be a knife? I don't know. Well, we there's also blanks. Like, yeah. Yeah. But what's the difference between, uh, like, I don't know, like, differences between objects always kind of boil down to style, I guess. Like, that's the whole point. Xbox, GameCube, or Xbox, Nintendo Pro, and PlayStation controllers, that's all style, but they serve the same function. Well, I guess you could say a Pro controller, because the Switch controller, like, the Joy-Cons are perfectly made so that you can play it handheld and, like, they could play the games with them. Yeah. But, like, some people prefer the function of a pro controller to the style of it, I guess. Because I think the style of the Joy-Cons looks cool. Just, can I game with them? Not really. <laughs> I don't know. What do your students say about this stuff? Well, I'm actually doing a demo tomorrow. So recording this the 19th and tomorrow I'm doing actually like a whole workshop for I'm this religious frozen. studies thing. And like the whole purpose, like I'm actually bringing in like most of my dishware and I'm going to have them categorize these objects based on form. And then at the end, it's going to be, I'll basically show them how I, as a person, the emic perspective actually would categorize the glassware. Like some of them I use for decoration, you know, even though they might be a beer mug, but like the big ones that I have, it's like my fraternity glassware. I keep that on a, on a shelf. I don't actually use that type of stuff. What does emic mean again? There's the emic and edict perspective. And emic, the way that I think about it, like emic, the M in it means me. And the edict in Spanish, there's the two form, which means you. And that's how I remember it. So the emic perspective is my personal inherent experience, whereas the edict experience is someone else's perspective or worldview. And it's like in culture. So like emic's like my culture, edict is someone else's culture. Sure. So trying to challenge them that way fishing hook that one like obviously has its own i think that's that's like 100 percent function yeah there's very little style like people don't get like oh that's a pretty fishing hook it's like no you need to catch right a fish like you like can have a different is... metal i guess but that still goes into function but yeah you're yeah. right that is something that's like pretty unanimously like it's fish hook because it physically does exactly what it it is yeah so that's something in the record too. I wonder how much stuff we could identify as a straight up fish hook, but fish hooks are usually organic back then. They're pretty like the, the concept of a fish hook has been around for a long time. Like that's how you catch fish. Like there's fish hooks that go back to like Neanderthals, I believe hmm. in, in Spain slash Portugal. They're pretty industrious over there. Yeah. I mean, people have been there for a long time. I really wish there's more archeological work being done in Africa. I mean, yeah, it'd be great. So many questions would be answered but like what the the mid part like the more equatorial africa you get like the more jungle harder it is to excavate with that highly acidic soil which affects artifact mm-hmm. preservation yeah i'd love to work in africa at some point <laughs> i was wondering where you were going with this versus style and function i was like africa. i don't know i just i don't uh, know but that's yeah, like yeah. the basic like the like yeah. the further back you go in time like when we talk about australopithecines homo erectus that's function. There is very little in the way of style, I believe. Like that's like using hand axes and stuff. Hand axe, like this is function. Yeah, like a lot of our earliest components. I think that's true of any industry in human material culture. Like the the first iterations are purely function. Style so. comes later. Yeah, especially under capitalist markets. I think like now we're in the pinnacle of of style of our modern human culture. Yeah. Well, I guess with iPhones too, like the software and what they're capable of doing can always change in function. Yeah, because like now iPhones all look the fucking same. Yeah, like I didn't even realize there was 14s now. My phone looks exactly like the new ones, but it's not new at all. Yeah, human culture is pretty fun that way. Although a good one that's actually kind of funny. Have you ever, you've seen um, The Dictator, right? The Pointy. you see elon musk talking about that that's exactly where i was going for it he ordered them to create that rocket because of that fucking movie it's like jesus christ yeah some guy probably spent like years like his whole thesis in graduate school and engineering about how to like 
make the perfect nozzle for a rocket. And Elon Musk was like, no, I would like it to be pointy. <laughs> I think he did talk like that is slightly less inefficient, but like negligibly, like extraordinarily negligibly yeah, less efficient. It does nothing. Yeah. But yeah, no, that's that's purely, you know, style. As the dictator was saying, he likes it because in Looney Tunes, when the rocket hits something, it sticks and goes, Ding! He's like, I saw a documentary. It's like, uh, did this documentary have a duck when it blows up? His bill goes oh, behind his head. It's Rafi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I am certain you are watching cartoons. <laughs> God, I love Sasha Baron Cohen. Yeah, he's a gem. Carlton, does any of this matter? I don't know, dude. <laughs> At the end of the day, <laughs> if it's made it, up and the points don't matter. If it's not anth- like if it's not really helping us understand human behavior. What, who gives a shit? Like, people get really upset over these things, and it's like, okay, a fishing hook's a fishing hook. This is a projectile point. Does the minutia over... Because, like, it's impossible for us to go back in time and, like, is this personal preference, or have they identified something with this unique way to notch or flute a projectile point that's going to make this more efficient? Because at the end of the day, these material cultures continue to change, unless they're fish hooks. That is clearly... We've reached the pinnacle of that. Yeah. But, like... Does it really matter? Like when it comes to projectile points, especially in the Paleo-Indian archaic record, there's very little that we can tell in terms of differences between populations. And that's why we consider them like cultures, even though it's like, are they really cultures? We don't really know. But at least with Clovis and Folsom, it's not until really the archaic, right? Where there are geographic boundaries of projectile point types. To what time? It's like in the archaic. That's when we start seeing differences really regionally between types. Well, like Paleo-Indian is pretty regionally distinct too, but they're all Paleo-Indian lancelet points pretty much. I mean... But what I mean is like there's Clovis points from Maine to Mexico, same with Folsom, and then we kind of start seeing... After Clovis, it starts to become a little more regionalized. Yeah, but I see what you're saying. Yes. Like true, distinct, like what am I looking at? This is definitely from early archaic Tennessee versus late archaic Nevada. Very different. Yeah. And then like in the Great Plains, there's a lot of diversity. And then really from like the 11 to 1600s, you get plain side notch points from Alberta down to Southern Texas. It's like, that's it. I guess that's like, we hit it. That mm-hmm. is the function. And like Lakotas, Pawnees, Wichita's, Tonkawas to Crees, like everyone was using the same thing because it's just a little arrowhead. And they are arrowheads at this point and they're side notched. Boom. We did it. We did it. We did it. We got we got to the we got to the form that just that works the best. Is is side notching easier than corner notching? Uh yeah, I would say so. At least yeah. I just haven't tried side notching, but the or it's corner notching. But the fact that I'd never like tried it, I guess just always led me to think side notching was easier in my hands. Or I'm just yeah. used to seeing side notched. I don't know. I don't know why. I really want wish I was a better napper when it comes to stone tools. I'm a hell of a sleeper. Do- <laughs> <laughs> Donnie, I know you're listening, so just shoot me a text when you hear this and you're you're like, here's an answer. You're not Southern. I don't know why I gave you a Southern accent there, but either way, what's up, dog? Can you make a hand axe? Yeah, I can make a hand axe. <laughs> <laughs> I had, yeah, I had somewhere to go voice. with this. I have, I have no idea. Oh, the bow and arrow. Like the bow and arrow. I was thinking this the other day, too, like, because I've been reading a lot about like age of exploration and stuff. Like when the Spanish guy, they had like pikes. And like blunder, like blunder, but like their guns weren't like super the way we would think they are now. Obviously, they were. They had muskets and stuff. But I think they had archivists. Archivists. I've, I remember that from was that it's the Assassin's one with, Creed um, Three. Yeah, they're like super accurate, and they're the ones that have like the um, rope for the fuse. Oh, I remember those. Yes, they're flint old locks. school. No, it, it's not a flintlock. It's archivist. Oh. Flintlocks have the flint. The archivists have the. The burning rope from like Pocahontas. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Those things. I know they had that in like the Reconquista in Spain, but yeah, they, I mean, it's 1492. They brought the same stuff over. Point being, I don't think they were using bows at that point. They were using crossbows in some ways, but my segue with this was bows are probably 70,000 years old, if not a little 50,000, 10,000 years old. But like, point being, a technology that was used for a very long time. And like up until like 
like when the Spanish Spanish got here, they would have been like, "Oh, these are bows and arrows." Like it wasn't like a foreign primitive technology like an atlatl is, you know. But still, it's like that's something that's been perfected. You spring something and launch it a direction, and like a catapult works the same way. I think of something every day that works with a spring. I mean, but there is there is difference in some of the styles, like. And we've been trying to figure this out because like the Pawnee used gull wing bows, which look like a bow that's backwards. So rather than like a recurve where the bow, the bend in the bow is facing towards the archer that's facing the opposite direction. Mm. Now, what does that do? It does make it like easier to draw the bow. I think Donnie yell at me if I'm wrong, but there's only so far you can bend it. Like it has a maximum bend, whereas like a recurve, you can keep pulling on that puppy. We think it's just kind of like you can pull it back, and once you really hit that resistance, you know it's time to let go. Like you've hit its maximum draw. Like it's a it's a much easier indicator. Hmm. But that's very particular to the Pawnee and other people. We're using different styles of bow, like the Comanches, especially on horseback. The Comanche war bow, really tiny. It's really zippy when you fire it. Like it's it's a small bow when you fire, but that that arrow fucking it's gone. Like a Mongolian bow, yeah. Well, Mongolian balls are like you've have you like. See, I know you've seen them. Those things They're are like massive. Tiny. No, the Sorry. Mongolian war bows. Those things like are the, massive. The horse archer bows are like way smaller than I thought they'd be. No, but the oh. Mongolian ones, like once those were strung up, they were not unstrung for years. Like they had oh. a special person. Like the draw weight on a Mongolian bow is fucking crazy. Like you in and under the cons, a bow maker would be put to death if his bow broke. I mean, I would ask if that was real, but like a lot of the shit he said did, I was like, eh, is that yeah, real? We, I've seen some of- at Demon S. They're gorgeous and they actually are very pretty. Like not only are they functionally like, like imagine that, like uh, modern day bows, you unstring them after you were done with them. They kept their strung for fucking years and they didn't lose tension hmm. and they pierced armor. Yeah. And I was thinking it's because they're not long, like a long bow, but they're smaller, but they have, Curves in them would give it the power. Yeah. I guess that's what I, I was trying to. Yeah, get no, at. I got you. Yeah, they're a short bow, not a yeah. small bow. Mongolian war bow, but they're not um, like you know, Legend of Zelda, tiny little. I believe it's the fairy fairy bow or the. Holy bow shit! Yeah, so that's oh, an English long bow. The Mongolian bow had a draw weight up to 150 pounds. I typed the Mongolian bowl. <laughs> that hungry. is crazy. Like that. Their curve, 150 pound, 150 pound draw weight. That's a fucking lot to kill an elk. You need like anywhere between above 35, like you need basically 40 to 50, 150 pounds. That's you are basically doing a fucking, yeah, a lat pull of 150 (laughs) with one arm. Like that's a lot of, of weight. Just that little thing too. Yeah. Well, we've discussed Alvarez functions today, Carlton. We have, David. I think this was beneficial to our audience. I think so, too. Connor's broken, as am I, I'm tr- as I'm trying to get this pen cap back in. I, too, am broken. We're a mess. Carlton's broken physically and spiritually, so yeah. we're just... We're, we're we'll barely keeping content. What, what happened to his back this time? Is it from the car wreck on the highway of death from a couple years ago? That didn't help it, but he um he hurt his back, I believe, working out a few years ago. Uh, and he had to get surgery for it. And like now he like he has rehurt the same thing. And the moral wow. of the story is like Connor wakes up at five AM every day to work out and he's a very fit person, but like can have an interview. I need to get oh. back into like I was going five, six times a week. Now I've shrunk back to three week three days a week. I I'm just not it's having a good time sleeping. Like I'm not I can actually I, I'm starting to see the veins in my shoulders now, which I was very proud about. There was starting to pop. Good. Way to be vascular. I'm trying. It's like I'm the diet's kind of the window. Now. I got I got beefy arms. I feel like Robert Baratheon. <laughs> <Best hand>. uh, <laughs> God bless Bessie and her tits. Wow. Okay. <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. God, I love Robert uh, Baratheon. Me too. I wasn't gonna quote that on our podcast. Well, what is, what, who gives a shit? We've said much first. It's a quote. Quoting it's Robert a quote. Yeah, it's yeah. a quote. Um, What's the, that what's the better one? Bessie, that's what he says. Oh, oh the Dothraki 
Uh, anyway, no, guys, one, the, we're, uh, we're, we're keeping it together. I'm still, I don't know if I've updated you guys. The doctors have no idea what is wrong with me. They're just like, your hands will work when they, you know, they might not, not, you're good. <laughs> yeah, and it turns Why? out I don't have ADHD. I have severe anxiety. Well, yeah, they mis- misdiagnosed at first. And like, no one told me in my family, like, does your family have a history of anxiety? And I was like, I don't think so. But then I like go back home and I went telling people what happened. They're like, oh, all of everyone on your dad's side of the family, like your dad suffered from panic attacks. We're all in anxiety meds. I'm like, wait a minute. And I wonder if that's if that's historic or generational trauma. Because uh, it's only the Indians that have it. Leading research on anxiety is that in ADHD, you can have genetic predispositions to it, but it's ex- extra, what do you call it? Epigenetic co- like factors that cause it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sweet. So like, yeah. Environmental factors. There you go. Like things like that can like trigger it in you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anxious people hoping to get on medication because fuck does this shit suck. This episode took a... <laughs> the dark turn this got bad we're guys we're we're here we're getting your content carlton's recording his own episode here in a minute uh last week uh when you're hearing this you will have heard me talk to Vinny. Vinny oh, bag of donuts air duster in my water that's great can i start eating wings can we play see if and eat wings follow rate review the podcast Please keep listening to us. Don't leave after this nonsense. If you want to be a host on the podcast, please let us know. We need help. The other context is Carlton just drove across the country and back the other day, and he's like trying to be a functional person. I haven't had a thought since November. It was bliss. Nine and a half hours of not getting assaulted by emails. I wish I could drive all the time. I'll drive your bus, David. I'll drive you wherever you want. Just keep keep the phone away from me. All right. Let's, uh, I'll be a bus person. I'll change my, my idea from a C person to a bus person. <laughs> See, live and die by this, the bus. D. Live and die by crap, the bus. All right. Till next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to a Life in Ruins podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at a Life in Ruins podcast. And you can also email us at a Life in Ruins podcast at gmail.com. And remember, make sure to bring your archaeologists in from the cold and feed them beer. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.